You are listening to Australia's tax news podcast, Tax Talks, the podcast for Australian tax professionals. Welcome to episode 20 of Tax Talks. This is Heide Robson. Can a TRIS convert directly into an account-based pension, an ABP? Or do we need to stop and then start afresh? In search of an answer, I turned to David Moss of Merit Wealth in Sydney. In June 2017, APRA updated its Prudential Practice Guide, SPG 280, about payment standards. I started by asking David whether this update had anything to do with the Atris ABP issue everyone is talking about at the moment. Here's David's answer. APRA, which is the, the body that regulates the big super funds, not self-managed funds, they released this updated practice guide. It's pretty much irrelevant, apart from the fact that it's just started a conversation and it's got everyone talking about this particular issue now. So their, their document itself says nothing, does nothing. There's no change there, really. It's more that that was a conversation starter for most people. Oh, okay. That, that's, a, that's a lead in. Um, what we're talking about is the fact that people want to pay 0% tax within their superannuation funds and how do they, they achieve that outcome. Uh, a tree of it's brought that to people's attention recently has been APRA releasing this updated document, this updated practice guide. Why? Um, just because it talked about this stuff, it didn't actually say anything new. It said everything that they've said before. It's just now it's topical. It's like if you're looking to go and buy a car and you want to buy a Volkswagen, you start seeing Volkswagens everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. If, you're, if you're not interested in that type of stuff, then it doesn't come to the top of your mind. So this is why this is a nothing document, mm. but it's got a whole lot of talk in the airways. Um, they, they've issued it as, a, as an updated document, but they've basically updated nothing. Mm. And APRA tends to do that. They tend to re-release stuff every once in a while with basically no changes. Uh, just because it looks, I guess almost because it looks better to have a document with a 200, 2017 on it versus a 1997 on it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it was just it this, this grabs people's attention and, and people have been looking at this saying, oh, has anything changed here? Well, nothing's changed here, but why do they even care if something's changed mm. here? Mm. But why they care is the bigger issue. So what is the bigger issue? The rules previously were that if you had a superannuation pension, if you're starting to access your superannuation and pulling some money out of super, that meant that within your superannuation fund, you can reduce the tax rate in your fund from 15% or 10% on long-term capital gains. You could reduce that down to zero. With the changes in the rules, the outcome was that some superannuation pensions were going to become better than others. The ones which are called account-based pensions, um, the ones that most people have got, would have the same type of rules, which would be you pay no tax in your, your super fund on your earnings, 0% tax, great rate to have, versus people who had these things called transition to retirement income streams, uh, TRISs, um, they used to pay 0% tax in the fund, now they're going to have to pay 15%. And everyone's trying to work out, okay, if I've got one of these transition pensions, these TRIS pensions, can I change it to what be an account-based pension? How can I move it from a 15% tax rate to a 0% tax rate? Do you think um, there's still room for TRIS going forward or is has TRIS basically become redundant with the uh, loss of the tax There's exemption? still room for it. It just depends yeah. on why you needed, why you started one to begin with. Um, yeah. Most people started TRISs um, because they're just looking to save tax. If that was their objective, 9 out of 10 people, that was why. And if that was their objective, it's a waste of time now. They're probably better off cancelling their transition pension. Uh, 1 out of 10 people used a TRIS for the true reason they were brought into legislation. Uh, there's a reason they're called transition to retirement income streams. The idea was that if you're thinking, I'm earning 100 grand a year, I want to cut back and do four days a week instead of five, I'm now going to earn $80,000 a year. Uh, I need to somehow make up that $20,000. How can I transition to retirement? How can I fill that twenty grand gap? And one way to do that would be to start a pension, a transition retirement pension, which would allow you to take a, between 4% and 10% of your superannuation out each year. And if you had, for example, $200,000 in super, 10% of 200 grand, that's 20 grand, there's your gap filled. It allows you to transition from being a five-day-a-week worker to a four-day-a-week worker. So people who are still in that situation... This still works perfectly. Mm -hmm. uh, that was always the intention. It's still got it's still got a place. 
Yes. So, the, so in this case, in this one out of ten case, Tris was actually about being able to access the funds, yep. as opposed to just and moving things. And the only reason, it. only reason it was brought into legislation to begin with, it was never brought in to save people tax. That was an unintended side um, benefit for people and a problem for the basically the government at the time didn't draft the legislation properly, properly. Mm. And, and left a loophole. So the end result of this is, yep, there's still a place for transition pensions, but the majority of people um, would are even better off cancelling their pensions, their transition pensions, but the other outcome uh, that they're all trying to achieve is, what if we don't just cancel the pension and get rid of it? We still want 0% tax. It's not about getting rid of a transition pension. It's about moving it into an account-based pension, moving to the higher level of pension so they can still have exactly the same benefits they had before. Two main pensions out there are transition retirement or account-based pension. What a, a TRIS is, is a, a transition pension, is a pension that you can access the money from, it's got an, a restriction being that you can't take more than 10% out per, per year, and under the new rules, you pay tax on the earnings in the fund, the, the earnings of the funds aren't tax-free. That's one type of pension, a TRIS. Another type of pension is the account-based pension. The account-based pension um, is the one which I guess people kind of refer as uh, tax-exempt because that's the one where you pay 0% tax within the fund. There's a TRIS and account-based pension. And realistically, an account-based pension, a TRIS is an account-based pension just with an extra couple of conditions placed on top of it. It's an account-based pension where you've got the extra condition of you can only take out 10% or up to 10% a year and you um, can't pull out a lump sum. So the idea is you can't say, I want to take out 50%. It's 10% as a pension payment or bad luck, you can't have it. Versus an account-based pension, you could say, I want 50% out tomorrow. I just, out of the air, I just decide mm -hmm. I want to pull out a big chunk of money. Could you stop a tryst at any time? Yep. Okay. You can cancel any of these pensions at any time. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. There's no problem with that. It's easy to do. Just filling out a few documents. Yeah, so you've got these transition pensions and these account-based pensions, but it's really all account-based pensions, just uh, a TRIS is one with an extra couple of uh, requirements on top of it. And and I think officially we now say that TRIS is an accumulation phase as opposed to correct. ADP being in retirement correct. phase. Correct. So they call an account-based pension now a, a it's in a retirement phase pension. It's a pension where you're meant to be retired and actually um, drawing down on your money versus a transition pension. Well, the whole idea of that, of that is, again, it comes back to that idea of uh, moving towards retirement. You're still working, but you want to potentially access some of your superannuation. So you're still accumulating your money. You're not retired yet. You're moving towards retirement. And so to change from a TRIS to an ABP, you have to cancel the TRIS and then start well, a new Well, that's a big ABP. question. That's, yeah. a, that's a million-dollar question at the moment. Mm. Um, depends who you ask. If you ask someone who's been in the superannuation business for 20, 30 years, they've got one answer. If you ask the ATO, they've got another answer. So the consensus across the industry is if you wanted to stop a transition pension and change it to an account-based pension, um, depending upon how your documents are worded, when you start a pension, you put in place um, a request from the member saying, I want to start a pension. And then the trustees of the fund will say, yes, we agree to that. Here's the terms of that pension. Now, some of them, some of those uh, pensions, when they were set up, also had some extra paragraphs in there saying things like, as soon as you reach age 60 and you terminate an employment, this trust pension will automatically convert into an account-based pension. Or as soon as you hit age 65, this trust pension will automatically become an account-based pension. So you've got um, some documents saying that, and another set of documents that's relevant is a trustee. The trustee of a fund itself, which governs the entire superannuation fund, sometimes had paragraphs saying uh, any trusts that are in place can automatically turn into an account-based pension. Other trustees were silent on it and didn't talk about it at all. The logic behind it was that can we minimise paperwork and reduce paperwork? If we've got someone who um, who is 56, starts a transition pension, they get to age 62, they quit their job, they're retired, why do we want them to have to go and fill out a whole lot of extra paperwork to 
basically strip away some outcomes. conditions mm. and have the same outcome. Uh, can we minimise the paperwork and make life a bit simpler? And so that, that's what the lawyers tried to achieve. They did that through their deeds and through their minutes and requests of trustees. And um, based upon how they worded that, in their view, a transition pension could automatically turn into an account-based pension. The regulator, uh, primary regulator for SMSFs anyway, for, for the funds we all really care about, um, is the ATO, and the ATO was pretty much silent on this until the last six months. And then recently they've come out and said they've got a different view. Their view is if you want a, a TRIS remains a TRIS unless you cancel it and start a new pension. Mm. And why does it matter apart from the paperwork? One thing is the paperwork. The, the main reason people care is um, if you come back to that legislation, there's what's the difference between a transition pension and an account-based pension? Well, now, an account-based pension, you get your earnings in your fund tax-free. A transition pension, you have earnings in the fund taxed at 15% or 10%. That's one part of it. Another part of it is um, the fact that a transition pension, when you die, if you've got a transition pension, your transition pension dies. If you've got an account-based pension... There's no reversionary pension from a trust. Yep. Mm -hmm. If you've got an account-based pension, um, when you set it up, you can set it up to say, in the event that I die, I want it to automatically go to my spouse or someone else. So the downside of that is um, you can have people who... These transition pensions have been around for, what, 10 years, 10 odd years now? So someone who set one up 10 years ago could have set it up and said, in the event that I pass away, I want it to automatically go to my second spouse and I want the superannuation to, to go to them. Um, however, the rules have now changed, and what might occur now is in the event that someone passed away, uh, a transition pension might have to cease, the money goes back into the superannuation, then the trustees of the superannuation fund itself make a decision. They decide what's going to happen with this money. Do we start a pension for someone else? Do we pay it out of the fund to the estate? Do we give it to someone else? The control over that money is now with the trustees versus... Uh, with a reversionary pension, that the idea behind that is if you did it correctly, the, the trustees trustee didn't make no a decision. Control. It just automatically occurred. So if you had, say, let's say, mum and dad, second marriage, um, and then two adult kids from the first marriage, mm. and they're all in the super yeah. fund. The classic you, recipe for exactly, trouble. Exactly. So it was always about, there was a big a part of it there being about how to manage estate planning. And when the government changed these rules, uh, without them without them really realising they were causing it, they, they chucked some spanners in the works uh, for some people who spent a decent amount of time and money trying to set up their estate planning to make sure something in particular happened or something didn't happen. They didn't want the money to go to this person or that person or, or maybe they were worried that their super would go to their estate and they are worried they'd be bankrupt or, or something. Who knows? Um but it, it, what it means is for people who have got transition or retirement pensions, they can't have automatically reversionary pensions. Uh, moving into account-based pension lets them do that. But the, the biggest part is really about the tax-free earnings of the fund. So if one allowed to move a trust directly into an ABP, then it would be possible to then have the reversionary pension clause kick in yep. and direct it directly yep. to the beneficiary yep. and take, keep it out You've of the You've basically done your paperwork. You've done your paperwork up front. You do it now, and then whatever happens over the next five, ten years, if you die at any time during that point, at any point during that time, the, the pension will move to your spouse. Versus these rules mean that all that planning has now been chucked out and you've got to start again. You'd have to go and do different... Nom you might have to do a, a nomination within the super fund, a binding nomination with the fund saying, the event that I die... I require that this money get paid to this person or that person. So that's another set of documents. Or you might decide you might want to write into the trust deed itself, into the actual working document, the backbone of the fund to say in the event that this person passes away, this is what will happen with this money. The end result is planning people that people have done before um, be can be ruined mm. and they're going to have to do it again. Mm. If they if they realise, if, if they had an advisor who set it up for them five years ago, and they thought that's taken care of and they no longer really are in touch with that advisor. They might not even know that this time bomb's occurred and they just go go along with their lives and uh, five years down the track they find that, um, well, they won't find, they pass away and their family finds that things aren't how they thought it was set up mm. in the event of their death. Mm. If the TRIS doesn't convert to an ABP and instead 
all the funds go to the trustee. The trustee can only pay out lump sums now. It can't set up another pension, can well, it? Well, can. A, a trustee can still do a pension, but only to certain people. The rules around that haven't really changed, uh, not significantly. So in the event that someone passes away, the trustees have got control of the money. They decide where it gets paid. They can pay it as a lump sum to, to whoever or they can pay it as a uh, superannuation pension, but if it's going to be a pension, it can only be a pension being paid to a spouse or, or a dependent, dependent. person. Um, but that's been the case for a number of years now. So based upon all that, the, the, the outcome then is that um, everyone's now got clients where they need to go back through and have a look at the SMSFs and think, if they've got a transition pension, is it okay to live as is? Should we cancel it? Because there's a, a really of no benefit now maintaining it. Um, are we better off now looking at can they move that to an account-based pension? Um, we, well, most people would be better off if they can move it to an account-based pension, but you can't manufacture circumstances to achieve that. For a, a transition pension to be set up, all you need to do is to be over preservation age, so over 56. For an account-based pension to be set up, um, the key requirement most people need to meet is that they've met this definition of retirement. And that's not easy to meet for someone who's 50, 56 to 60. They affect the 56 to 60, you have to have terminated employment and have no intention to go back to work. And, 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 and by termination employment, you can go into the detail there. That is termination of gainful employment. So you must have quit or lost a job uh, that you're paid to do. Uh, being a volunteer is not enough. And uh, your intention at that point is, I don't intend to go back to work again uh, for full-time or part-time hours. And part-time hours is taken to be um, more 10 hours or more a week. So if you sit there and say, okay, my intention is to do less than 10 hours or no hours a week, okay, maybe you've got a, a, a point in time where you've met this condition that allows you to release your money from super, being retirement, I've terminated my employment, I'm 56 to, to 60 so some people meet that, but uh, in this day and age, most people are working longer and longer uh, into their lives, and most people uh, won't be ceasing employment between 56 and 60, and so they're not going to meet that condition. So the converting a trust to ABP issue is really relevant for people between 56 and 60? Yeah. Because once they are past 60, they have they can... Well, it's a bit easier. 60 yeah. to 65, it's a bit easier, but you still have conditions there. Lower conditions, but there's still conditions. 50 yeah. to, 56 to 60, it's very difficult. Yes, because you must have this intention of never working again. Yeah. Whereas past 60, you must have finished... A, a job. A job. Yeah. But that could be 20 years ago. I mean, yeah. everybody will have finished a job at some stage in their life. Yeah, most people will have... Yeah. 15 years of age yeah. or so. So 56 to 60, um, so the one thing to bear in mind there is it's at a point in time. So I, I could be 57 and say, all right, my intention is to quit. I leave the workforce. I'm not going back to work. All my super becomes available. I start an account-based pension. Uh, two years later, I might change my mind and say, I'm going to go back to work. Bought out of my mind. But that's, that's fine. That's okay. That's okay. That's acceptable. But you do you do need to be unemployed uh, out of the workforce or, or doing less than part doing less than part time hours. Sixty to sixty five, bit easier. Sixty to sixty five, all you need is a termination of employment. And that you can be have a termination of employment at a point in time uh, between sixty and sixty five, and that's okay. That just means you've you've triggered it at that point, and whatever money you got in super at that point becomes available and accessible. Oh, okay, so the termination of employment must have happened between 60 and 65. It's not enough if the termination of employment happened 40 years ago. No, 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 sorry. Uh, let me rephrase that. So you need a, you need two things. You need to be between 60 and 65, and you need to have had a termination of employment. Um, now, there's another, there's another part to that. Let me give you an example. Someone who's 61 years of age, if they've got two jobs... They quit one job, then all their superannuation uh, on that date, that's in the fund of that date, becomes available, and they could start a pension with that. Someone who is um, 61 and currently they're not employed, they're retired, well, if they look back and say, well, I'm 61 and I intend never to go back to work, I terminated an employment 50 years ago, or 50 is a bit of a bit far when an 11-year-old been working. Um, but let's say 40 years ago, I uh, terminated employment 40 years ago. 
they also could say, well, I've terminated employment at a point in time. At this point in time, I've decided I'm not going back to the workforce, and at this point in time, my money becomes available. You've got the problem for some people where they haven't had employment ever. That's, that's some people where they've never had an employment, they've terminated, and in that case, um, oddly enough, they just can't access their money until they're 65 generally. Mm. So yeah. that might affect that might affect women. Especially. Yeah, that's right. That's mm. right. In some family situations, and that's but that's also where it's all a bit silly and funny how these works. Um, Sixty to sixty-five. All you need to do is terminate an employment. You can access your money. You could walk down the road, get a job at Burger King, work for one hour, and say I've had enough. I quit, and that does the job. You could find a friend who puts you on the books and employs you for a week, and then terminate that employment, and that does the job. Mm. How does someone know uh, if you've terminated an employment, if you had an employment terminated? Well, if I'm the tax office, and then I'm particularly interested in this area at the moment because someone who has a transition pension, well, their super fund's paying tax at 15% on income. Someone who doesn't has an account-based pension is paying 0%. I know people are going to be trying to move from transition pensions to an account-based pension, so I'm going to pay particular attention to this area. If someone's got a group certificate and they lodge a tax return showing they've got income uh, as an employee and then all of a sudden they don't have any income as an employee, okay, that's an indicator that these people really were earning and they've terminated an employment. If they never had any income reported for the last 10, 15 years and, um, and then suddenly and all they of a sudden there's, there's 200 bucks there showing up as employment income for the year and that's it. Am I going to look at that and think you've manufactured this arrangement just to try and ob- obtain a tax saving? Um, that's the whole point, isn't it? That means you can access your super and you pay 0% tax, 0% tax in your fund. And so there's a question there. Is that tax avoidance? Are you doing that to avoid tax? Mm-hmm. Part for a You've got all the normal um, concerns that pop up. So could they could they find it? Yep. Uh, if someone's been working uh, and earning 100 grand a year, and then in one year they're earning now 50 grand a year. And, um, well, is there a question there of whether or not did they terminate employment or they just cut back their hours? Because cutting back your hours doesn't do the trick. You need to have a termination of employment. So it's, it's a time now where people are, are looking at this, trying to find um, opportunities to say, yes, I've ticked this box, but they've got to do it correctly. Otherwise, they're exposing themselves. Um, but it's 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 a it's a pretty shiny diamond. This zero percent tax. Everyone loves the idea of zero percent tax. You really can't beat it. You're never going to get negative tax. The government's never going to give you money for earning money. Um, zero is the best you can achieve, and so we're always going to chase after it. Mm. And so people are always going to be trying to look for an angle to say, "All right, I've I've satisfied this condition of release," but. Because of that, we know the ATO is looking at it. They've told us they're looking at it. And so it's um, it's pretty important to make sure we do it correctly. And as accountants, it's pretty uh, important that we don't lead the clients in the wrong direction. We don't tell them you can do this or do that. It's all going to be correct and factual. Otherwise, it's our necks on the line. Um, because there's, a, there's an, extra, an extra arrow in the quiver of the regulators now being that if they find out that an accountant has said to someone, you should go and cancel this pension and say you've terminated employment and start a new one, well, there's a tax avoidance issue, but then there's also the issue of, from, from ASIC's perspective as the other regulator, you've told a client to cancel a pension, you've told a client to start a pension. Mm, and that's financial advice? That's financial advice. Mm. Yep. And, and that's another area they love to jump on people at the moment. Mm. So, um, and that's a whole extra conversation, really. But from the um, um, the transition pension, this is going to be the hot topic, really, for next year. You're going to keep hearing a lot about it, and you're going to hear a lot of conversations from the uh, lawyers saying that they believe that automatic conversion of a transition pension to an account-based pension is just fine, and it works just fine. There's no reason it shouldn't be allowable. Uh, the ATO is not... Uh, judge, jury, executioner, they are not the courts. They're just a regulator. They're a group that's been appointed by the government to uh, interpret the law and impose the law, not to make the law. And the lawyers, well, in their views, um, the law is on their side. Yeah. So expectation is they're going to keep fighting this for half a year to a year. 
are there really are there really uh, cases? The We're not aware of any cases at the moment. Mm. We're going to get out there at the moment. It's more about the lawyers are lobbying the ATO and saying this is our view and lobbying the government. Um, there's no cases that I'm aware of before the courts, um, and I, I, I'd expect that's not going to occur for quite some time. The the first uh, path that most people would be seeking to go down would be uh, just keep lobbying the ATO. The ATO has changed their views on things in the past based upon what is um, uh, what is the, the consistent previous behaviour of the industry and of, uh, of consumers, uh, even if their ATO has got a slightly different view. And the ATO has adopted different views in the past based upon what politicians um, say should be should be uh, the case. So is there a chance this could change and um, and the lawyers win this one? Yeah, definitely. And I think we said 56 because that's the preservation age. The preservation age depends on the year of birth. Yeah. It's 55, I think, for people born before 1960 yeah. or 1961. Sure. And I actually think it moves up to 60 for people sure. born after the 1st of July 1964. So anybody born after 1st of July 1964 would only ever be in this group of... We talk about... The the, the law talks about preservation age, Mm. and preservation age is then defined with that type of formula. It it moves over time. The reason we really talk about 56 nowadays is who cares about this stuff? It tends to be people who right this moment for the first time can potentially access their money. Someone who's 65 doesn't care about preservation. Someone who's 40 doesn't care about preservation. Someone who's 55 cares about what is my preservation age? Can I access it at 56, 57, mm-hmm. 58? It's people right at those age brackets who tend to, tend to pay attention to it. So the, the, the true technical answer is between preservation age and 60, um, it just happens to be that most people right now who care happen about this issue 56. happen to be 56. It happens mm. to be their boundary. It's 55 to... 60, the age range. I still haven't understood why it matters so much whether a TRIS can convert directly to an ABP or whether we first need to stop the TRIS and then start an ABP. I understand the point about reversionary pensions, I get that. But apart from that, the, the condition of release is still the number one hurdle. These hurdles still exist, whether we first stop the TRIS and then start an ABP or whether we directly convert a TRIS to an ABP, that issue still exists. So I don't understand why it is such an issue whether we can convert a TRIS directly to an ABP or whether we first have to cancel and start again. Yeah, yeah well, that's right. That, that, that one's more just a paperwork issue. Um, see, when you've got a superannuation pension in place, based upon the old rules, every, the rules change so often with superannuation that we always look for the angles and we always try to get the, the best outcome we can for people. Um, the result of that has been that it became attractive for people after 2007 for um, for people to look at setting up superannuation pensions where one would be 100% tax-free money so that's money put into the super fund out of the, your own pocket, non-concessional contributions, old undeducted contributions. This this tax-free money is called tax-free within the fund, and in the event that you die, that money goes to everyone. Whoever it goes to, they get a tax-free. Versus taxable money, that's your employer contributions and earnings you derive within a fund, that's called taxable money. That builds up in a fund, and if that goes to your spouse when you pass away, they get a tax-free. However, if it goes to your adult children when you pass away, it's taxed at 17%. So there's been this objective for the last 10 years to um, separate tax-free money and taxable money. And if you're going to live off your super and draw it down, you want to use up your tax taxable money first. And leave the tax-free money Correct, for the children. Correct, leave the tax-free for the children. So how did people usually segregate that by by using the segregation yeah. method? The only way to achieve it was through pensions. I see. And so basically to move, every, to move the entire tax-free component into an ABP and leave the taxable... Uh, component in, in an accumulation in or in a different type of pension, correct. Mm-hmm. Because the best way to think about uh, tax-free and taxable money, well, tax-free money is money you've usually paid tax on in your own hands before. It's sitting in your pocket and you move it in the super. Tax, taxable money is where you're usually putting it in so you can get a tax deduction uh, and you're only paying 15% to get it in. Now, 
I think of tax-free money as water and taxable money as dirt. If you have a superannuation fund, and that's a flask, and you pour the uh, tax-free money in there and the taxable money, it all gets mixed together. It's dirt and water. you now got mud. You can't separate that. That's in there now. Um, and if I said how the rules operate is if I said I've got $100,000 in there and I want to take out 10000 if, say, it was 50% taxable, 50% tax-free, half mud, half water, and I poured uh, some of that out, it's, it's going to be a consistent mix of both of those parts. Yeah. That's not the outcome I wanted. When we move funds into an ABP, we can't say we just move the tax-free component right. into ABP. Um, we have to continue using the same proportion, exactly. basically moving mud into the ABP. Yep. We can't just take the water and move it into Correct. the ABP. Correct. So what people did to achieve the, the better outcome is they already have this muddy water within the fund. Now, if they took all of that uh, flask, that accumulation bucket, and they poured it all into another bucket, another flask, and started a pension with that, starting a pension means you're putting it in a separate bucket and you're putting a lid on the top. You can't add to it. You can't add to a pension and, and, and uh, move more accumulation money into it. So let's say I poured all of that muddy water into another flask. That's sitting there by itself. And then I said, well, I've got um, $450,000 or $540,000 spare in my pocket and I want to drop that into my superannuation fund. If I then put that into the super fund... It's pure water. It's pure water going into the SMSF or the superannuation fund. And if I start another pension with that immediately, I'm now starting a 100% pure pension, which which is tax-free and gives me all the benefits and that's the pension mm. I want to have hanging around forever. And the other one, which is money, well, there's not much I can really do about that, but that's the one I'd draw down over time. Yes. So the end result is people typically, that's why many self-managed funds, um, you pick up a self-managed fund, people in a in pension phase, it's, it's not uncommon to see five or six pensions. For someone to have one pension which is tax-free, another one which is tax-free, then one which is half tax-free, half taxable, one that's half-free, half taxable, and another one which is just taxable. Because what they've done is they've, they've moved it all into one bucket to begin with, then they've started a tax-free pension with some contributions, and then they've made some employer contributions in and stuck that into a 100% taxable pension, and then maybe made some more contributions and made another tax-free pension. And so they've got all these pensions floating around with the whole purpose being to keep them separate. Yes. And under these new changes, it means that in the event that they pass away, um, in the past, how it was set up, they'd say, well, my tax-free pension, that one's going to go to my, that's going to get cancelled and go to my children. My taxable pension will stay over in the fund and automatically revert to my spouse because my spouse is going to get tax-free in the fund and that can continue. The kids get their tax-free money out. Uh, under, the, under the new changes, it means that transition pension, I pass away, all the money is just pulled back into one big container, it's all mixed up again, mm. and it's ruined all my planning I've done for the last 10 years. The tax-free components that are in, a, in an ABP and that they ABP remain. is purely yep. tax-free, yep. they remain, they're not, yep. they're not the kind of The only ones that get killed off, transition pensions are the ones that basically die when you die, and all your money rolls back into accumulation. Account-based pensions the trustees have the ability to decide where's that where's that money going to go and you can still decide ahead of time you can make that a reversionary pension you can choose to put rules around that oh, to I make see. it automatically go to someone i see so if a trust was 100 percent tax-free i have to cancel it and then start again i yep. dirty it well, that's and lose yeah. the tax-free so yeah. that's that's, that's why the problem this... with the cancellation of any pension and that's I also see. what's happening here people are looking at this saying well what if I cancel my TRIS to start an account-based pension? Okay, well, that means it's all getting mixed up again. For some people, it might not be a big deal. For others, it's going to ruin strategies they're putting in place. So that's why it's such a big issue of yeah. whether we have to and cancel the TRIS thing. or not. When, when the rules changed back in 2007 um, around how much you could put in the super and the proportioning rule came into place back then, when that occurred... Everyone started playing games to maximise their opportunities and the big game was... I'm going to have one dirty pension, can't really do much about that, but whenever I put clean money in, I want to keep it clean, and I'll start another separate clean pension there. Yeah. And that's why um, it was a common strategy, it was a standard strategy uh, to have, I'm making a non-concessional contribution, I better clean out my fund before I do that, and as soon as I make that contribution, I'll start a new pension with it to wrap it up, and, and then that one's the one I'm putting aside for the kids. 
I see, yes. So that's how we got a, a clean ABP. We took, we took all the mud, put it into, an, into a different ABP, so then we right. had no accumulation. Then we yeah. started a new accumulation, put only clean water so. in there, and then directly moved it to another ABP, and then we had a clean ABP and yeah. a muddy ABP. And that's why it's not uncommon to see someone who's got a, an account-based pension of, say, $180,000 or a million dollars or five hundred and forty around about those big numbers, around about what those caps were at those different years when people were told last chance to put in a million dollars. And so you'll see there's a tax-free pension sitting there, which now might be $1.2 million. Yeah. Um, so it's just people adapting the different rules over time. And as always, rules with superannuation keeps change, keep changing. Um, and this is just another another one. It's not uncommon. It happens all the time every few years. Another one that can trip us up and ruin some of the planning we did before. Why does it matter so much whether um, an ABP is 100% tax-free or not? It matters because then you can allocate the ABP in your yep. in your binding desk nominations to different yep. recipients who have Correct. different tax status. That's the only reason yep. that it matters, doesn't well, it? That's the matter. And in this day and age, like things where parents are helping people, helping their kids with deposits for houses, they might say, okay, well, this child's received $200,000 to help them with a house. This other child's received nothing, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this pension here that you'll pay out to them upon death, and they'll get their 200000 tax-free there, and the rest of the money will go to my my spouse, and, and then she can or he can do what they want with it. Um, so with the... And then you've got the complication of, of second families. There's... So much of that stuff out there nowadays, it's it's commonplace um, and everyone wants to achieve the best objective for, for people they love uh, and all this planning isn't cheap. It costs a, a chunk of money to set it up. But what we all tend to do is set it up and then think it's taken care of. We don't have to worry about it now. We paid for the advice. I've done my bit for my family. And then we've got these problems like this where... If there's an, an accountant or an advisor or even just a trustee themselves as of an SMSF who doesn't really appreciate what's been put in place in the past, they, they don't look at it and see why was why was it structured this way, they can unwind these plans without even realising they've done something wrong. And there's, once it's done, once it's unwound, you can't go back. Mm. And it can be with death tax and how, how money gets paid. Worst case scenario, you have families who are paying death tax, uh, death tax on superannuation death benefits of up to, you know, 32%. Um, so it, it can be quite substantial. And, and if someone's paid to ensure that doesn't occur. Yes. And death tax happens when taxable components are paid to non-dependents. Yeah, and then there's a question of if there's life insurance involved and life insurance can suddenly take a, a, a death benefit payment instead of being 0% tax, can bring the tax rate up to 32%. Because life insurance payments are taxable? Yeah, potentially. Usually they are. It depends on how the life insurance was structured itself, but uh, the majority of cases, yep, the life insurance part will be taxable. But it's not even the life insurance part. What happens is if you receive a life insurance payment into your super, that increases how much you've got in super. There's a separate formula that then applies. Do the life insurance benefits, they don't go into an ABP, so they, they basically are just become part of this, all, Correct. of this bucket that then is yep. distributed. It all gets mixed up. Mm. Yeah. Versus if you had a separate account-based pension, again, there's, there's ways of minimising that death tax. Yeah, so there's all these, all these historical games and... Um, you can go back further and talk about things like, well, people who have set up pensions for particular reasons, maybe they thought they were uh, heading towards uh, a family issue, maybe it was for Centrelink reasons. There's a lots of reasons why people set up pensions in particular ways where, where this can create some issues uh, from the moment. And um, and the unfortunate thing is the ones, it's the ones who don't, don't realise, don't understand uh, really why this stuff was set up the way it was, where it can come undone. Um, plenty of people's self-managed funds don't have a complete understanding of exactly what they've got. They they trust their advisor completely and their advisor could have put stuff in place. They might have changed advisors. The advisor might have passed away. The advisor might have retired. Uh, and the end result is really no one knows no one's got that history of why this was set up this way. 
which makes it very easy for things to come undone. When people are trying to, realistically, the new advisor could be trying to do the right thing. They just don't know why things were set up a particular way. If something looks unusual, it's worth looking at why that might be the case before you just go and kill it off. We have tax-free and taxable, but then we also have restricted and unreserved and unrestricted, unreserved. That only affects whether we can access the funds. It doesn't right. affect the tax treatment of those funds, actually. Yeah, that's right. With, with superannuation, there's two parts, two sets of legislation we really care about. There's a whole lot of uh, ancillary legislation, but the two core ones are tax law, superannuation law. Tax law says... Um, how is income earned by a fund going to be taxed? Tax law says how is a pension or a benefit payment to someone uh, going to be taxed? Superannuation law says can I even pay that benefit? So these words unrestricted and unpreserved and restricted and unpreserved, they are words that are coming from the superannuation Correct. law, whereas tax-free and taxable comes Correct. from the tax law. Yeah, so superannuation law says that when your money goes into your superannuation, um, let's say the simplest scenario, someone is 20 years of age, the money is preserved. It's locked up. It's locked up and, and they can't access it until they meet a condition of release. Uh, the standard conditions of release are retirement. So that's 65 is the one most common one. Reach 65, all of your money then um, gets changed. It's kind of like um, moving it from one bucket again to another bucket. You're moving it from preserved bucket into the unrestricted non-preserved bucket. And once it's in there, it stays there. And that means unrestricted, non-preserved means you can access it at any time. So that's where, in the example of, say, someone who's 61 years of age, they terminate employment. All their money at that point is poured out of the preserved bucket into the unrestricted, non-preserved bucket. Now, if they made another contribution after that, that contribution goes into, into the preserved bucket again. Until While it's an accumulation. That's right. Until they meet another condition of release to, to pour it out again. When you hit 65... Um, it's all moved into the, the unrestricted and preserved, and you say, okay, another contribution comes in when I'm 66. The money hits accumulation, it hits preserved, and you look at it and say, am I still over 65? Yep, okay, I'll automatically move it out. You're always, once you're 65, you're always 65. I see. So, so you can also have unrestricted and unpreserved in the accumulation Correct. phase. Correct. Yeah, once you're you once you completely fit separate concepts. Yeah. yeah, so uh, unrestricted, so you, the three ones... Preserved is where, as soon as money hits the super fund, you, you basically assume it's preserved. You meet a condition, it can be unrestricted and non-preserved. Then you've got a middle category, category, uh, historical category called restricted, um, non-preserved. Restricted, non-preserved means you can't access it right now. There's a restriction on it. Have you ever seen a restricted and non-preserved? Yeah. Yep. So restricted, non-preserved, it used to be, oh, going back 15 years, it was, it was common. Uh, nowadays it's pretty rare to see it. Restricted non-preserved just means that if you terminate an employment, your money then becomes unrestricted non-preserved. Uh, it's just because you just got to look at superannuation the last 10 years, how often the rules have changed. Now, go back 30 years. The rules change so often that um, you've always got these carryovers. Restricted non-preserved uh, was typically money that was from um, related to an employment plan or some kind of a structure. But the outcome of it was that when you terminate an employment, it becomes unrestricted, non-preserved. Now, over the last 20 years, most people have had some kind of a termination of employment at some stage. So the majority of this restricted, unpreserved money has moved to unrestricted, non-preserved. It's mm -hmm. rare to find it now just because every day that goes by, there's a higher chance you're going to change jobs or retire or pass mm -hmm. away. Um, so it's still out there, but there's not much of it. I see, and it will, will get less and less. Constantly and... reducing. Yep. Mm. The, the, the hot topic nowadays is about this transfer balance cap um, and, and the fact that we can have up to 1.6 million bucks in super in pension phase, paying 0% tax earnings in the fund. Um, and if we go above that, we've got a bit of a problem. Well, not so much a problem. We get, a, we get less, or less of a tax benefit. Um, one issue that arises on the back of the transition pension issue is that upon you turning age 65, your money automatically becomes unrestricted and unpreserved, 
and the ATO's interpretation of how they're dealing with it, they're, they're saying automatically we will treat any transition pensions you've got, they're still called transition pensions, but we're no longer, we're going to treat them as retirement pensions. We're not going to treat them as accumulation pensions. So the logic that up to 65, um, if you've got a transition or retirement pension, that's you're transitioning to retirement, you're still accumulating money for your retirement, you're not fully retired. 65, we're assuming that's, that's stopped. 65, we're assuming at that point, you um, are now heading for retirement. Uh, whatever money you've got in a transition pension, well, it's still a transition pension, but we will at that point start counting it to your $1.6 million cap. Why is that relevant? Well, and it's unlikely to occur, but it could occur. A, a case where, let's say, someone uh, contributed money into super at different points of their life, late in life, and maybe they started a pension that was $1.6 million, uh, that was an account-based pension, and maybe they were, uh, based upon their age, they made another contribution, but that money, they were still working at the time and for, and because of that money, um, came in before they were 65, maybe that money was locked up in super still and that money was still preserved. So maybe they terminated an employment, started a pension, started a new employment, made another contribution and started a pension with that, which means the first pension is an account based pension, second one's a transition pension. Only the account-based pension counts to the 1.6. The transition didn't. So let's say that account-based pension was 1.6 million bucks. The transition pension was just another $100,000. And didn't hit the TBA? Didn't hit the TBA. There's no issues there. It's not counted. But as soon as I hit 65, it does automatically without you doing anything, without you even being aware. Uh, you should be aware because your advisor hopefully tells you. Uh, and if they don't, then the ATO will. Then they'll come back to you and say, well, you now, we're now counting this to your cap. You're $100,000 over. You've got to cancel $100,000 for pension. And by the way, here's your penalty for, for stuffing up. How high is the penalty for it? Oh, it's not significant. It's more that the penalty is more that if you do this inadvertently, then um, there is income that that $100,000 pension would be earning that should have been taxed at 15% instead of taxed at 0%. So the ATO is trying to capture that income. Now, it doesn't matter if it's in term deposits or in, you're in shares, the ATO is not going to ask you how much income did you derive. They make their own assessment based upon a formula. So they basically assume that you're earning income at around about the 11 12% rate and use a, a deeming formula and just saying based upon that, we're going to assume you had that amount of income and we're going to tax that income now and we're going to penalise your 1.6 cap as well and reduce that based upon that income. It's not a significant penalty, but no one likes any penalties. So um, it's not the end of the world. But if you do multiple breaches, if, if the ATO looks at it and says you're doing this on purpose, you're trying to cause trouble for us, the penalty increases. Mm. Doesn't the ATO contradict itself? Because on one side they say you can't convert a TRIS directly into an ABP. You first have to cancel the TRIS and then start an APB. But on the other hand they say as soon as you hit 65, we will treat your TRIS as, like an ABP yeah. and put it into the TBA and hence count it towards your cap. Yeah. It, isn't that a contradiction? Yeah, not everything that um, is in place makes sense. The, the problem for the ATO is they tend to be balancing um, the requirements and their interpretation of multiple laws, of tax law, superannuation law. So from a tax law perspective, that's where uh, the T-bar the stuff is, where they're saying, here's how much you can have in your fund tax-free, here's how much you got to pay tax. So from a tax perspective, they're saying, um, once you go over 65 um, this counts. Then from a superannuation law perspective, they're saying a pension that's set up as a TRIS pension is always a TRIS pension. Superannuation law does not say it automatically changes to an account-based pension. So it's two completely different sets of legislation they're looking at. And from their, their perspective, they go through that line item by line item, and, and the result is they say superannuation law doesn't allow us just to make this thing turn into an account-based pension. So we can't. Tax law does allow us to effectively treat it as an account-based pension, so we will. Um, 
that's the dilemma they're in and that's their interpretation and the majority of lawyers, significant lawyers out there in the superannuation industry, in this case, disagree with their interpretation. So the outcome of all of this is uh, there's one broad issue, one broad question we're dealing with. Why do we even care about changing a transition pension to an account-based pension? Why has this become such a big issue in the press? Why are we hearing so much about it? And and it comes down to if I've got a transition or retirement pension, uh, it's got restrictions on it. If I've got an account-based pension, it's got less restrictions on it. If I've got a transition pension, I pay more tax in my super fund than if I've got an account-based pension. But another substantial issue is we've been at this for 10, 15 years now where we started transition pensions, account-based pensions. We had clients who started account-based pension with $540,000, another with $180,000, maybe one with 100000 Maybe we've got some transition pensions in there or other account-based pensions with fifty grand, twenty grand, all these different sums. Why have we got all these multiple pensions? Typically, it's because we've been trying to separate out the tax-free money within the fund from the taxable money. That's been a big objective for the last decade. Otherwise, why would we have multiple pensions? Why wouldn't we have just stuck it all in one pension, cancelled it and started a new one every time? There's a reason we have all these multiple pensions. Problem we've got, transition pensions, if they, if we cancel them and turn them into an account-based pension, are we unwinding that work? Are we just taking all that tax-free money and then pouring it back in with a taxable? On the other side of the coin, what if I pass away? Does that same thing automatically happen without my choice? Um, does my transition pension money automatically go back in, join the taxable money, and all get mixed up? So it's not as simple as just cancelling a tris and starting an account-based pension. And it's not as simple as just saying, I'm not going to cancel a tris. I'm just going to sit on it. I don't care. Um, your estate planning is impacted by this. What you've done in the past is impacted, and also tax what tax are you paying in your fund right now is uh, is, is impacted by what actions do you take now. Um, but then also the other side of the coin is you can't take action unless you know what you had in the past. If you see four or five pensions in a super fund, you can't cancel those pensions unless you know why they were there. You might be losing someone's ability to get Centrelink. You might be ruining some estate planning. So there's a number of factors you need to, to consider before before you act. Welcome back. It would be good to get more certainty around Tris soon. In the next episode, episode 21, Andrew Ficou and Anka Dow of Revenue New South Wales will talk about the grouping provisions for payroll tax. Until then, thank you for listening. Bye for now and see you in the next episode. <laughs>